Some of you who have been with us for some time will remember that some months ago I began to talk about all that the COVID time had sort of crushed and collapsed and how while lots of things were destroyed in this process, the destruction of some of those patterns weren't necessarily all bad, right? Because there are plenty of things that uh, the COVID collapse sort of wiped out of our schedules and wiped out of our lives. And now we have this opportunity, just like the children of Israel did when they returned to Israel and were faced with the rubble of the walls of Jerusalem. Now we have the opportunity to rebuild, to build again, and to make choices and maybe correct some of the things that had filled our lives before this COVID time and build stronger and better. And, and one of the analogies I used was the importance of building back in the most important things, making sure that we just didn't fill our lives and rush to return to normal, but we maybe do a better job of getting it right this time around and maybe build some of those most fundamental things back in. So we spent some, some weeks in a school of prayer affirming that our connection to God and our connection with one another through prayer to God was a vital foundational thing for us. And so we spent some time in a school of prayer. Then we spent some time in a school of service where we talked about how significant it was to understand the call of Christ that all nations of the world would be blessed by us. His chosen people, our job is to bless all nations of the world. And if we are not a blessing, we're not able to be used by God to further his mission. And that meant we've got to get out there and serve the world. We've got to get out there and get to work. And even if that means serving with folks who we're not quite sure we agree everything they agree with, and we're not sure our political opinions align. In fact, some of the folks we serve with might be somewhat offensive to us. Doesn't matter. It's the master's call that we serve that we find what we can do together in common to bless the world because this world is the world Christ died for, the one he loves. And so we're called to serve them. And I'd like to take us into a new school today, the school of sharing. There are a variety of narratives in the New Testament that um, come to mind as I consider what it means to share. The first comes from John 4, 1 to 26. You know the story. It's the story of the woman at the well. You know the details of the story. The woman comes out to the well, finds Jesus there. They have this encounter. There's conversation. It's an odd conversation for a variety of reasons. Men and women didn't really socialize publicly in that day. And it's a, a Jew talking to a Samaritan. So this is uh, some prejudice being addressed here in the scripture. There's a variety of things that are happening uh, as a part of this story. And you know how the story proceeds and, and, and what happens. But I wonder if we have focused on the response of the woman to Jesus's instruction to her. I mean, we remember the living water kind of comments. We remember that type of interaction. But this is what John 4.39 says. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. 
What I find fascinating in that little group of verses is this. The woman's at the well in the middle of the day because she's trying to avoid her neighbors, right? She doesn't have friends in town. I mean, Jesus reveals to her, something she knows very well, that she's had five husbands already. The husband she's living with now is not really her husband, and, and her social life is a mess, and she is outcast from society, right? So I'm thinking to myself, well, well you know how it is. When you have a really good piece of news to share, uh, good news is not half as good if you don't have someone to share it with, right? You gotta tell someone about the fact that you were walking home from the grocery store, you found a $100 bill in the wall. You, I mean, you, have to, you have to tell somebody the good news or it's just not as much fun. And I'm wondering, who is this lady telling, right? She's completely outcast. She goes back to the town and she's telling somebody because very quickly the town knows what she said and they're back. And there's an acceptance, an invitation of Christ to come and talk and interact. And, and it's because of this woman's testimony. And candidly, I'm surprised anyone in town believes anything she says, right? Right? But, but somehow the excitement in her communicates this message that Messiah is present. It's an interesting number of verses, I think. There's another story in Mark 5, 1 through 20, where um, Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man that has been ostracized by his community. He's in chains, he's manacled, he breaks out of his chains, the entire town is afraid of him, he's kept out in the outskirts of the town, and Jesus and he have this encounter. Uh, the demons inside him are legion, and Jesus rebukes the demons, and the demons come out. It's, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful story. I'm focusing really on this last piece of it, though. Jesus is getting back into his boat to leave, and, and he wants to go, and the demon-possessed man, who is no longer demon-possessed, says to Jesus, you know, um, can I go with you? Can I go with you? And part of me understands that he's saying, I don't have any home in this community. Why would I want to stay with these people? Can I, can I please go with you? And, and there's probably a lot more behind this. But in Mark 5, 19, these are Jesus' response to the request of the man to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is like the first encounter Jesus has with Greek cities. This is an early expansion of the gospel message beyond uh, the Jewish folks. And if, you, and if you read a little further, you get to the end of Matthew 6, you see where Jesus is back in that territory after some more uh, cruising around the Sea of Galilee. And this time when he comes, the scene that he encounters is different. The first time he's there, he's accosted by a demon-possessed man. And when the man is freed, the people in the town gather around and say, would you please get out of here? You're frightening us. The pork market is not in good condition. And we're afraid, so would you please leave? But when he comes back, they're all there. 
they want him to be they want him to heal their their sick and and, and word has spread somehow and this man has done what Jesus has asked him to do. He is, he's told the story of his deliverance. There's another story in the Gospel of John, John 1 and 35, following there. And in this story, John the Apostle is telling part of the story of John the Baptist, so don't get the two Johns confused. And John sees Jesus, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and his testimony is, look, pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God. And when two disciples heard him say this, these are John's disciples now. Remember, John has disciples, and eventually Jesus will have disciples. But at this point, John has disciples. And the two disciples hear him say this, and they follow Jesus. Jesus turns around, sees them following, says, what do you want? They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? He says, come, and you will see. And this is verses 39 and 40. So they went and saw where he was staying, spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, one of those two disciples, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. These are all stories of people telling their story, of people communicating what the transforming grace of God has done in their life, of, of telling about their encounters with Jesus. And I'm wondering, how do we do it at that? How, how do we do it at telling the story of our encounters with Jesus to those who are closer to us? I won't soon forget the day we sat in one of the cabins up at Windsor Hills and my mom and dad gathered the grandkids around as well as anyone else who was present and read to them their testimony that they had prepared. And, and the sharing of that story was so significant. It was their story, the story of how Jesus changed their lives and what he had wrought in the family because of that. And of course, that story shapes my story. The pieces of my father and mother's stories all become part of my stories. There's the story of an early primitive Methodist church with a pastor from Eastern Nazarene College. There's the story of Ed Waddell, the Methodist Sunday school teacher who helped renew my parents' relationship in Jesus Christ. There's a story of Reading Calvary Church of the Nazarene where a strong biblical foundation was laid, not perfectly, but well enough to launch me on this journey. There is the confession of faith of mine at a Christian boys and girls camp when I'm in sixth grade. There's the complete consecration of my life at, at, um, at a church service when I'm in 11th grade. Um, there's the struggle, the story of how long I struggled to respond to the call and how gracious God was to me in that process. There's the story of all those faith intersections where God's presence was so palpable in my life that it was unmistakable. 
sitting in a broken boat in the middle of the Black River in Michigan. The confirmation of my call to ministry, a call to education and preparation that moved me from Virginia to Missouri. Uh, the surrendering of my children to God in times of deep crisis. The joys of his sustaining grace. Any one of these helps fill out the shape of my story. And when any common thing, common experience touches any of these points, it gives me an opportunity to share how God, how good God has been to declare the wonderful acts of God. And I'm anxious to do that. That's the shape of my story generally. And I'm curious, what is the shape of your story? What, what is the shape of your story? If I ask you, to tell me that story, what, what would you say? Some years ago, when I arrived at this church, I invited you to help me fill this book. This is the book of testimony. And I invited you to share the stories of how you came to Christ and what difference Christ was making in your life. And, and they're in here. Many of them are, this is, oh, here's Louise Greenier's right here in the first page. Stories of folks who um, have dedicated their life to Christ. And, and the story, I don't want to lose the stories of the saints. Do you understand? Those stories have power for us. They teach us about the goodness of God. And I guess you have an option. You can either have the back of your funeral bulletin put in the, in the, in the book, which is basically your obituary and gives a few vital statistics. Or you could have the story of God's grace and your encounters with Jesus in the book. And I'll tell you what I want. I'll tell you the best part of my life is what God has blessed me with and how he's encountered me and, and sustained me and enabled me through times. And, 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 and I, think, I think your story should be in this book. The story of God's grace and his encounters with you. But there's something more significant about this exercise. If you take me seriously and write out the story of your intersections with Christ, what you will have done is prepared yourself to answer the question, what's the reason that you choose to trust Jesus? You know we have that instruction, right? 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we have a command to be prepared to tell our story. Are you prepared to tell your story? Have you written it out? Do you know the shape of your story? Have you considered it? And are you prepared to tell folks that story when they ask you? Folks from time to time will ask you, are you prepared to tell that story? Well, I'll just say this this morning. I'm asking. I'm asking for you to tell me the reason for the hope that you have in you. And I'd like you to respond to me. It says you're supposed to be prepared. I'm asking you to prepare. If you're not prepared, the command obviously is get prepared. Let's get this done. And I would prefer that you give me a copy of it. I'll put it in the book. 
Now, there may be details that you want to suppress for the book, okay? Because our boasting is not in the depth of our sinful past. Our boasting is in the majestic grace of God to forgive it, whatever it is, right? So I'm thinking right now, I should be able to ask you, what are the reasons for the hope that's in you? What answers would you give to these kinds of questions? Why do you believe in Jesus? How can you be joyful in the face of such stress? Why do you pray? How did you come to believe? And what makes you continue to believe that Jesus offers the grace that he promises to us? You might think that this idea of preparing to tell your story and and telling your story as it relates to your coming to Christ is something new for this place. But you should know, especially to those of you who are new to us, that it is not new. This has been the heart of our mission for 120 whatever years it is now. We've always been talking about the significance of telling our story. If you read back through the minutes of the church, you'll see that there are times when it expresses itself in cottage prayer meetings. It is times, there are times when it expresses itself in bus ministry. It, at times it expresses itself in terms of preparation for evangelism, to use that term. We've always understood that the mission of Christ is to be prepared to tell the story and to be willing to tell the story, the gracious story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about this more in in the days ahead, but this morning I'm just giving you the charge, be prepared to tell the story. I'm sure you understand that we sing in the church, in our church services for at least two reasons. One of the reasons we sing is to address our worship to God. That's a significant piece of our singing in church. The other thing is to help us identify who we know we ought to be in Christ. So our hymns become training for us in much the same way scripture becomes training for us. And so I think it's insightful if we're thinking about, is this some new teaching that Pastor Dan dreamed up, or is this something that's always been central to who we are, to at least take a glance back at our hymn book and see if we've ever sung about telling this story before. I mean, is this something new to us, or is this, it's not new. It's not new. You've you've heard some of these songs. I'll sing a few lines. If you know these lines, sing along with me if you want. Every Christmas, I know we sing, Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. This is not a Christmas song. Out in the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. Make me a blessing, make me a blessing. 
out of my life. May Jesus shine. Make me a blessing. O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. There's a second verse of that. Tell the sweet story of Christ and his love. Tell of his power to forgive. Others will trust him if only you prove true every moment you live. The chorus we've sung. Remember these words from another hymn. And this is one of those hymns that if you're tongue-tied, you'll have difficulty with. There's a sweet and blessed story of the Christ who came from glory just to rescue me from sin and misery. He in loving kindness sought me and from sin and shame hath brought me. Hallelujah, Jesus ransomed me. Hallelujah, what a savior who could take a poor lost sinner, lift him from the miry clay and set him free. We're going to slow down. I will ever tell the story shouting glory 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 hallelujah Jesus ransomed me this is my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long this is my story this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long. Telling the story of Christ has always been central to who we are. These are the words of the hymn you may or may not remember. It's in our current hymnal. Haven't sung it a whole lot. But I want you to hear the command that's articulated in it. Church of God, awaken, hear the Lord's command. Tell the blessed story of the cross. Fields are white for harvesting on every hand. Tell the blessed story of the cross. Tell the blessed story of the cross of Jesus. Tell the blessed story of the hallowed cross. Until every nation learns a full salvation. Tell the blessed story of the cross. These next words from the second verse that him are telling, aren't they? You can read them there, can't you? Has not he commissioned you to bear the news? Go ye into all the world and everywhere. Tell the blessed story of the cross. One of the crises in our culture is simply this, I guess. I read about this in an article in the New York Times this week in an interview for one of Mark Zuckerberg's old friends. And he said, one of the difficulty in understanding censorship and Facebook together is that Mark honestly believes that humanity is good, is progressing towards being better, and things are just going to work themselves out. And there's, a, there's an 
anthropological crisis at the center of who we are. And what you think about that matters. Whether we are folks who are good and aspire to goodness all the time, or whether we are folks who are a little bit twisted and aspire to selfishness all the time. And if we are these kind of folks, then we need a savior. We need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and it is out of fashion to tell our story publicly these days. I'll grant you that. But we're not told to proclaim the gospel with a club in hand, right? You heard the first Peter 3 passage. Give the answer to the question of everyone who asks you and do it with gentleness and meekness, okay? So I'm thinking what the gospel is telling us today is that we live in such a way that our lives set the table for others to ask us questions about it and then we are ready to tell, okay? The Holy Spirit will direct this. We don't have to make this up on our own strength or power. What we need to do is be ready to tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ready to answer those who ask the question and be sure that our lives are lived in such a way that they complement the gospel that we're talking about, right? So there's no conflict between how we live and what we say. Step one is knowing your story and being willing to tell it. That's my charge for you this morning, that you would, if you haven't already done so, spend these next days writing, at you, writing out your story, the story of how you came to Christ, the difference Christ has made, the difference Christ is making in your life today, so that when the opportunity comes to share your story, I believe that it will come for each of you You'll be prepared. I'll just tack on an aside here. It's okay to pray for opportunities to share your story. Right? It might help you be aware of the opportunities when they come. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you allow your kingdom to come through us? We are very aware today, Lord, that our story is the smallest piece of your story. And the story we most need is your story. Help us, Lord, to live in ways that will enable us to share your story in meekness and gentleness. That your kingdom may come through us. Amen. And now may the Father bless you so that you are enabled to see the kingdom of God come through you. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.